Hello everyone, my name is Ryan and you're listening to The Vegan Report. If you are an ethical vegan and you care to do more to end animal abuse, then this podcast is for you. Every Tuesday, discover passionate, thought-provoking and inspiring vegan leaders from all walks of life who will inspire you to take action. If you are listening to this podcast, chances are you have watched undercover footage of how farm animals are treated. Those pictures and videos are violent, shocking, and can even be traumatizing. But what is certain is that those images never leave you indifferent. They force you for a moment to face an evil which has been actively hidden from your sight. Well, have you ever wondered how that footage is produced? Who is behind the camera? And what does it cost to capture a photo of that ugliness? Today, we are going to answer all of those questions as we are in the company of Natalie Bartosek, an animal rights activist who has filmed one of the worst, most wicked scenes of animal abuse out there when, on December 7, 2019, she infiltrated a pig farm here in Quebec, about an hour drive from where I live. Natalie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Ryan. Thank you so much for welcoming me onto your platform to have this conversation. Of course. So, Natalie, those images of animal exploitation are at the center of your activism and commitment to the cause of animal rights. Last episode, we covered the work of the Montreal chapter of uh, Anonymous for the Voiceless, who exposes that footage uh, openly in the streets to confront the convictions and dietary choices of the general public. Now, you are one of the co-founders of the Montreal chapter of Anonymous for the Voiceless. Not only that, but the very reason why you are vegan has to do with watching the famous or infamous documentary Earthlings. Can you recount that experience for us? Yes, um, it was sort of silly at first because I was just... I was on, of all websites, um, Ellen DeGeneres' website. She was vegan at the time, and she had a list of films that she recommended on one portion of her site. And I was bored, and I saw a movie that was called Earthlings listed there. And to me, the the title sounded like something like David Attenborough-ish, you know, sort of like uh, Our, Our Planet, um, those documentaries that he makes about, you know, um, life on our planet. So I thought Earthlings sounded sort of like that, which was what I was in the mood for. I had no idea what I was getting myself into when I pressed play that day. Um, I remember stopping it halfway through and just crying and sobbing. And I think I was yelling at the screen, why, why, why? Uh, you know, and somehow I managed to press play and watch the rest of it. But that was that was the first moment of lifting the veil, so to speak, of everything that I had been lied to about and everything I, I, I just had no idea about, like most people, in regards to what are we, what we're doing to animals, uh, how brutal and horrible and immoral and abusive it is. Yes. In my personal experience, after watching that documentary, I felt like asking for forgiveness, actually. Um, so before that, did you have any inclination toward um, animal rights or a, a certain love for animals? 
Yeah, I always loved animals. I mean, not everybody who becomes a vegan animal rights activist cares about animals and you don't need to. But for me, um, well, I'll elaborate on that. You don't need to because it doesn't matter how you feel about animals. You only need to understand that they don't deserve to be unnecessarily harmed or, you know, uh, abused, obviously, um, exploited in any way. Um, but for me, I always loved them. I had a lot of, um, you know, pets growing up and I, they always brought me so much joy. I love connecting with them. I, I think they're beautiful and wonderful and innocent and just, yeah, it, it was, it was always something I thought I cared about, you know, but then in practice, of course, I was like everyone else just blindly consuming their bodies and, um, I, 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 it was such a, a rude awakening when I finally realized what I was part of, what I was contributing to. What do you say to people who say that those images are not effective at converting people to our cause, uh, to veganism, who doubt the power of that footage? I think that footage is the most powerful thing we have in our arsenal. Absolutely. You can't deny those images. You can't deny the truth of what's happening. These images are garnered by undercover activists who risk their freedom, um, sometimes even their lives, going into these dangerous situations, these horrible, horrible places that you know leave them with PTSD and, and other and other issues. Um, to get these images to to tell the truth about what's really happening to animals and when you see those images how can you how can you argue with those you know what I mean people have excuses about why they don't want to stop eating animals but when you show them those images how can there's how can you i mean they they just they're so they're so moving they're so um heartbreaking it, it's it's what did it for me it's what done it it's what's done it um, changing people's hearts and minds for most people that I've spoken to um, in the movement. And also I see it happening all the time in, in, in my uh, work with AV. We watch, you know, the change happening right there on the spot. We see it on their faces. They cry. They, 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 they re react with shock. They, they turn away. It's, it's, it's undeniably effective I, I can't understand why anybody would, 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 would excuse me. <laughs> I can't understand why anybody would ever think otherwise. I think the the logic is it's offensive. You know, it's offensive to people to to watch that footage, and all they're they're going to get from that experience is just um, being disgusted. Yes, but uh, being turned off from um, anything that has to do with thinking about animal exploitation. I guess that's how I, um, you know, think about their argument. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, anyone with, you know, a good heart and a logical mind can look at that and, and understand that it's so unbelievably abusive and cruel. And also just that it's logically unnecessary. We know today that we don't need to be doing this to them. We can thrive and survive without harming uh, any animals, uh, at least in the in the developed world. So you watch the documentary Earthlings. You decide to become vegan. 
then no sorry to cut you off but i did not immediately i wish i could say that i watched it and i went straight vegan i didn't it took me a long time it took it was quite a learning curve i wish i could say i did it sooner i think most vegans feel that way who didn't go vegan right on the spot but it was it took it took a few years after that sorry to interrupt there oh no it's okay i mean um so what was the why did it take uh, so much time before making the transition I just didn't know how to get my nutrients, feed myself, give up all these things that I had spent my life consuming and enjoying and feeling comfortable with. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to get there. So it, I did it in stages, um, you know, giving up this. I think right after that documentary, I just said, okay, I'm not eating pigs and, and cows anymore. I'm not doing that anymore. Little later, I said, okay, I'm not eating chicken anymore. Then it was, okay, I'm not going to eat seafood anymore. I was a big seafood fan, so for me, that one felt hard, but I did it, and I was proud of myself. Then I got to vegetarian, I thought, okay, I'm good. This is good for me. This is as far as I need to go. I didn't know about the dairy industry. I didn't know about the egg industry. I was actually walking down St. Laurent Boulevard and passing by our famous smoked meat shop here, which always has a line out the door, and there were some activists in front of it. I had never done activism. I didn't know any activists, but there were some people there with signs protesting this smoked meat place. And I said to myself, oh, these are my people. This is great. Even though I wasn't an activist, but these are people who didn't eat meat. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. So I go up to one of them and I, I, I shake their hand. I say, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for doing this. And the person says, oh, you're welcome. Are you vegan? And I said, no, I'm vegetarian. And he says to me, oh, you're not helping anybody. And I thought, what? What do you mean I'm not helping anybody? Because I felt like I had done so much already. I'd given up so much. So I was, I was actually angry walking away from this person. You know, I was, I was bothered by what he said that I wasn't, I hadn't done any good after everything that I'd given up, after all that I had changed in my life. But I, it stayed with me. And I went home, and I, I, I think he had given me some videos to watch on YouTube. It was the dairy is scary and the egg, the egg video as well that, um, Aaron Janice made. And I watched those and that was it. That was what did it for me. That made me go vegan. That's yeah. a, that's truly amazing, which also proves the point that sometimes you need to upset people to trigger change in their lives. Sometimes. I mean, I don't think it's necessary to be a pardon my language, a complete asshole about it. Um, but I I do think it's necessary to be, uh, and this is the ethos of AV as well, to be direct, to not sugarcoat it, to just be a direct medium of the truth, tell it as it is. And I think people will respect you for that and it will stay with them. So you mentioned those people and how you thought about them as your people. Yeah. At some point you decided to join them. So what made you take that extra step from just being vegan to becoming a vegan activist? Honestly, it was right after that. Right after I, I spoke to that person. I, I, I don't even know. I can't picture their face in my head. Maybe they're a friend of mine now and I don't even realize <laughs> it, you know. Um, but after I met this person, they said that to me. I went home. I educated myself. I decided to be vegan. Basically, I don't know. It was probably like the next week. <laughs> I, I decided, okay. I really do want these to be my people. I really do want to have other vegans in my life. I didn't know any vegans, not one. So I decided to go on Facebook 
And <laughs> it's almost, it's funny to me. I go into the search bar and I just typed in vegan. <laughs> I just wanted to see what came up. And the very first thing that came up was there was a dinner being planned at Ovive, which is the first vegan restaurant that ever existed in Montreal. I think it's been, I don't know, 20 years or maybe more now. Um, and it was being hosted by this gentleman. Oh, I can't remember his name now. I'm so sorry if he's watching this because I can't remember. It started with Jay. It's been a long time since we've spoken. I think it was Jesse, but I'm not sure. Um, he had posted this uh, this event that anyone was willing to, uh, anyone was welcome to join to go and just meet other vegans. And um, that sounded great. But it said that the the date to to confirm had had passed. So I sent him a private message and I said, is it too late? You know, I don't know any vegans. Can I please come? And he said, yeah, sure. No problem. You know, we'll uh, we'll call the restaurant and accommodate you. So I went and I sat with about 20 different vegans at a long table. And it was a it was a really nice experience. And I learned through that dinner about activism, um, more about what was happening in the city. And from there, I just networked and found out, you know, what was happening. It started mostly with fur protests, um, those sorts of events. And then and then I, I heard about AV and I wanted to know if there was a chapter in the city. Um, so I looked it up online and there, there wasn't one. Um, but I saw that someone named Kareem Samra was starting to um, sort of mobilize this. And um, he was going to have a meeting with people who were interested in starting the chapter. So I went to this meeting at Gusta when Gusta had its own shop. We went and we sat in there. Uh, I think there were about 10 of us. And we just sat in a circle and sort of brainstormed. And then after that meeting, I reached out to him personally and said, listen, you know, do you want some help um, getting this off the ground? You know, what have you already done? What can I do for you? So he had already gotten the TVs and set up the, the harnesses and um, the console with the battery. He'd done all of that out of his own pocket. So, so, um, uh, so generous. And uh, so I, I asked him what still needed to be done. I got some masks. I got the signs printed. And then we had our first event and we had a really great turnout. And it's been um, six years now. And we're have, today is International Cube Day, by the day. By the mm -hmm. way, it's a very uh, special event. Uh, we have an event starting in uh, just a few hours. And um, it's been wonderful. The community is great. We're very lucky to have a, a beautiful community here. And, and AV is going strong. That's amazing. Can you share with us some... Uh, inspiring stories. You mentioned uh, some of the reaction of people to that footage, but you, you spent so much time talking with people in the streets and doing those cube of truths. So can you share with us some stories of um, meeting people and uh, converting them to veganism? Absolutely. So over the years, I, I have done a lot of outreach. I don't do as much anymore because as an organizer, you're not actually supposed to do very much outreach, you're supposed to just focus on your organizer duties. But sometimes because we have four organizers, we're still able to um, take turns doing that on the day. Um, for myself, I mean, the best conversations, it sounds it sounds very backwards to maybe to some people, but the best ones are where people cry. <laughs> it's kind of comical. But if you if you get a crier, it was it was a good conversation um, <laughs> because it just means that you touched them so much. You really, really got the message across. You really um, changed their heart to the point where they were moved physically, you know, um, um, where where it's it's led to even a hug. Um and them really expressing that they want to 
uh, be vegan and, and wanting to know exactly how they do that and, and, and gratefully accepting our closing card, which is what we give them at the end with the resources they need. Um, sometimes it comes easily. This is the person that you're talking to. They, they, they have so much empathy for animals already. So it's not, it's not hard to get them there. Sometimes it's very hard to get them there and they really, they really push back. They throw every excuse they can think of at you. They really try to challenge what you're saying because they need, they need to make sure that you're right. They need to make sure that they haven't left any stone unturned because this is something that they're, they, they, they really are invested in. This is something that they, they themselves participate in every day, three times a day. Um, so they're, they're not making it easy on you, but, um, they're trying not to make it easy on you, but it's honestly, it's, it's always, if, if you've done these conversations a lot, it's always easy in a sense, because there is no, there is no excuse. There is no justification to continue doing what we're doing. There isn't one. I have been in so many conversations. I have watched other people have their conversations online and in person. And there's never been like a gotcha moment from anyone we've ever spoken to. Um, yeah. Um, one day there was this um, this child watching the screen um, and he was crying. And some people, some people think it's, it's, um, it's wrong of us to show this footage in the public so that children have to watch it. Um, and I get their perspective, but at the same time, um, this is their world too, and they're going to be growing up into it and they deserve the truth as well. And a lot of children understand, um, that this is, this is so wrong and that they don't want anything to do with it once they learn about it. And they're stronger than you think. I have had conversations with children where they had all the right questions. They didn't even cry. They understood and they walked away you know, wanting, wanting to ask their parents to, to, to buy different food and to, and to not hurt animals anymore. And it was some of the most beautiful conversations I've had were with children, but anyway, sorry, I'm getting on a tangent. I saw this children, this child crying and I went over and he was sobbing and looking at the screen. I think it was the pigs going into the gas chambers and his mother was down at his level and hugging him. He looked like he was maybe five or six. Um, and I went over and I, he was saying something to his mother in Spanish. I couldn't understand what he was saying, but I went over and I, I said to her, you know, I hope he's okay. Um, may I ask you what he's saying? And she looks up at me with like sort of a slight smile. And she says, he's saying to me that if he ever finds the people who hurt these animals, he's going to kill them. <laughs> he said he wanted to grow up someday and 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 stop the people that are hurting these animals, or he will hurt them. So, and she was not angry with us. She was grateful for this interaction that her child was having, for this ex this experience, this this the the expression that was coming out of him, this beautiful empathy that was flowing out of him. She thanked us for being there, and you know, even though I didn't I didn't end up having a full conversation um, with them, they had to leave that short interaction um, is, 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 is the one that kind of pops into my mind first when you, when you asked me about that. It was really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that story. You know, I was recently editing uh, a video for uh, Instagram with Liz White, who talked about bear hunting. And I was looking at pictures of people um, you know, taking their pictures with the bear 
the dead bear because bears are considered a trophy animal. So you hunt them, you kill them, and then you take pictures with them. And there were so many pictures with kids. So you have the mother or the father or, or the couple, the, the family unit, and the kids around the corpse of that dead uh, bear. And that was incredibly shocking to, to think that you know, those innocent children are conditioned to, you know, this is normal. So I will never be one to uh, blame activists for exposing children to that uh, footage because that's the truth. And anyway, people are going hunting with their uh, children and bonding over that sadistic experience. Yeah. So <laughs> we should at least, you know, put something against that, um, have an initiative against that, reaching, uh, reaching out to those children. And yeah, I'm always touched by those uh, stories, by vegans in general, but, but uh, also animal activists, because um, you're going against a cultural conditioning that goes back hundreds of years. And you're going against uh, the, the government, you're going against, uh, which is captured by this um, animal uh, industry. You're going against sometimes religious beliefs. It's amazing. It's truly amazing. And um, vegans and animal rights activists have all my admiration. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you have mine as well, really, for what you do. Genuinely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for saying that, uh, Natalie. So you're not just an activist. As you mentioned, you're an organizer. You are a leader among activists. As such, how do you mobilize vegans around taking action? Because this whole podcast is about inspiring vegans to take action. So I wonder if you have any insight or wisdom on that topic. Um, I mean, I don't, I never intended to, um, you know, lead the community and, you know, <laughs> I just, I just, I went, when I, 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 I saw, you know, um, uh, the, the opportunity to help get something off the ground, I, I just stepped in and did it. And I, I don't, um, uh, you know, I, I guess I feel a little uncomfortable, uh, like being, being called like a leader because it, I don't know, it sounds, um, I don't know. I don't know. I <laughs> just, I don't know. Um, but how do you, how do you mobilize people? I guess for me, when I think about, when I think about the cube of truth events that we do, which is the most of the activism that I do, the most important thing the most important aspect of my role as organizer is to make my teammates, my volunteers know that they are so important to this movement, that they are so appreciated, that they are, that they belong. This is where they belong. They belong with us. We, we see you, we love you. We appreciate you. You know, um, we are all in this together and I think when you put that out there into the community, all that love 
and all that appreciation and all that camaraderie, um, it, it, it clues them and it makes them want to keep coming back. You know, if they don't feel that, if they don't, even though they know the, the movement is so important, if they don't feel that from their leaders, if they don't feel that, I don't know that, um, like, it sounds so corny, but if, but I want to call it love. There's like a, there's like something that, that like, there's, it feels like a family to me. And I want people to realize that they are part of this family, as corny as that sounds. Um, it's just how I feel about it in my heart. And if the others feel that as well, I, I feel like that will keep us together and it will keep this movement stronger. So, um, yeah, that's the best way I can explain it, I guess. It's a beautiful answer. Thank you. So let's talk about what happened on December 7th when you decided to infiltrate that pig farm. Why did you decide to participate in that action? And, well, there's a number. Oh, sorry. You go ahead. <laughs> well, Please. I was just going to add, and why did you target that particular pig farm? Okay. Um, so first, first question, I was invited um, privately through a, a private app um, to participate in this action. And um, I, it, the, the ideas frightened me at first because I had never done anything like that in my life before. But I, I knew the importance of um, civil disobedience and I understood that this was a peaceful action. And so I was, I was interested, but I was, I was scared and I didn't commit right away. I had to think about it. And then I heard from a friend of mine that they had committed to doing this action, my friend, Jenny Donovan. Um, I had not known Jenny for very long, but we had become close. She, uh, she had invited me to go and talk to her MP once. We had gone together to talk to... Um, Oh no, I can't remember his name now. The one that was an astronaut, uh, Mark. What is his last name? I'm sorry, I I'm can't not remember good his last with name. names. <laughs> Garneau, maybe it is Mark Garneau. I, that might be it. Oh um, yes, yes. Yeah, he was an astronaut. Then he became an MP, and she wanted to go and talk to him. It was um, it was for Nation Rising. Nation Rising was a campaign where they wanted you to go and talk to your MP more about the environmental side of why animal agriculture is so is so harmful. Um, so we went and we spoke to her MP and I got to know her better and we came close. And so when I heard that she was going into this farm, I just, I had this emotional reaction and I felt, I don't want her to go in without me. If she's brave enough to do this, uh, I, I want to be brave enough to do this with her uh, and, and beside her. Um, I didn't really know um, the other people um, that were participating. I didn't know who they all were. Um I didn't know any of them as well as her, but anyway, there were there were the option there was the option to go inside or be on the outside team. There was an outside team as well. I could have made that decision to still do the action and be on the outside team, but she had decided to go inside, and and I I, I decided that that was that was I don't know in my in my heart I decided that that was what I wanted to do as well. And as risky as it was. <laughs> <laughs> And what triggered that action? So I guess there was something particularly bad happening with that pig farm and action needed to be taken in that case. Or was well, it... Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So uh, it, uh, interesting answer to that is that I, I didn't know where I was going. 
Mm-hmm. I didn't, I was not part of the organizing of this. I did not <clears throat> even know really who was part of the organizing of this. A lot of the times when they have these actions, they don't let the organizer um, um, uh, reveal themselves because it's better to have deniability um, and not have that information leak out because the organizer is usually targeted more harshly uh, in court. They were trying to get that information from us in the courtroom. So I did not know exactly whose idea this action was. And I didn't even know the identity of the location where we were going, the town we were going to, or the farm, or even what type of animal was being exploited on that farm. All I knew was this was a peaceful action and that I was going to be driving there, um, you know, with a biosecurity suit and with these people that I had met. Um, We had one meeting to talk about it. Uh, where we got the the equipment that we needed uh, for the day, and then and then we did it, and yeah. So let's talk about the details, the logistics of going there. What happened on that fateful day? I think I woke up at two in the morning, if you can call that waking up. I don't even know if I slept. I can't remember, but I woke up. And I got dressed, um, and I I walked uh, to this park. We were all supposed to meet at Park La Fontaine mm-hmm. at two thirty, I think, in the morning. And so we met there. There were a number of cars already, and we divided ourselves into the cars so that we could carpool to um, Saint Saint Hyacinthe <clears throat> or Saint Hyacinth in English which is where uh, the farm was. Um, We didn't know where we were going, only the drivers knew where we were going. It was still pitch black when I was walking to this park to get to to the other people. And uh, I remember thinking to myself, what am I doing? This is crazy, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Waking up early in the morning to to do this, I have no idea what I'm walking into. All I know is that it's a peaceful action and I, you know, I, I feel like this is important and and I'm going to do this, um, but I but I was scared, and I you know it felt it felt uh, mind-boggling that I was walking into this situation. So then we drive there. We leave at 3 a.m. We get there at four, and again it's still pitch dark when we get there. It's the middle of nowhere countryside farmland. There are no streetlights. It is just black. Sorry to yes, interject, Natalie. Sure. Saint Hyacinthe is actually the city where you can find one of I think the, the biggest. Uh, hospital vet, vet hospital for farm animals in Quebec, which I find interesting that this is happening where uh, there's this big vet hospital and vet school to I think most veterinarians in Quebec who go into uh, the agro business uh, go get their training uh, in Saint Hyacinthe. Really, I didn't even know that. I've never heard that before. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange contradiction, uh, veterinary um, practice um, for most people that are veterinarians, because most people eat animals, and then the school is in a place where they're exploiting so many animals. I mean, the whole society is just so contradictory, isn't it? But that's an interesting uh, fact I didn't know about. Wow. Um, so we arrive there in the dark, and I'm sitting in the back of this car, and... Um, uh, the people that I'm in the car with, they leave to go to another car. I don't remember why. 
Um, so I'm sitting there in the back and I put on my biosecurity suit um, and um, I'm given these little, these little booties to put on my feet. And by the way, I'm also wearing a diaper. <laughs> We're all wearing diapers because there are no bathrooms in there. And if you have to go, um, I did not have to use mine. Uh, just <laughs> But if you have to go, there's there's nowhere there's nowhere for you to go in there. We're going to be in there for hours. We're going to be with the police after, you know. So we actually wore those just in case. So I'm sitting in the back of this car in the middle of nowhere, in the dark, in a diaper, in a biosecurity suit. I'm I'm alone. Um, someone has just ran in the dark to the farm, ran top speed um, to go and check out that the doors are still unlocked. If we can still go in before we all go. Um, and I'm just thinking like, what am I doing here? This is crazy, you know, ah, but then we're given the, um, the go ahead that we're going to, um, assemble. And the first thing we want to do is we want to take a picture. So a lot of people have seen this picture. It's been the cover photo for our event, um, our, our court date event pages and that sort of thing. But we're in the dark. Um, we're underneath the the sign outside of the farm it says poor greg across the top poor greg is the name of the farm because por is um is pork in french and their name was gregoire it was a family-run farm by the gregoires um so anyway um we're at this farm and the there's this car and their headlights um, are going to be put onto us because there's no other light there. It's the only way we can take the photos. So I'm going to put their car so that the lights are shining on us and we 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 line up and um, we have we have some piglets in our arms. Um, some dead piglets. They're not alive. They're dead. And um, some some masks. Some pig masks. Pig. They look like we're like pig face masks. And uh, we take the picture. Um, and then it's time to go in. So we go towards the door, we get there, our hearts are all beating fast. Most of us, I think, I think all of us, I, I can't, I don't think any of us, no, maybe most of us, almost all of us have never done this before, have never gone into a farm before. Um, and we open the door and we walk in and it's just shocking. It's just, it just hits you. The smell, the, the atmosphere, um, and the eyes of all these mother pigs, these um, sows that are in cages the size of their own bodies. We were in the uh, the gestation area, uh, gestation, gestation, or farrowing. No, excuse me, the farrowing area where they have their babies next to them, and they are still in a cage the size of their body. And then there's another cage for their babies next to them. Um, so they can't turn around. They, they can only stand up and, and lie down. But the moment you go in, this, these huge animals with these very human-like eyes are looking at you. And you just can't believe what you're seeing. You just can't believe that this is legal. You walk through the door and there they are, right in your face, encaged with their babies. Their babies are also dead. Um, some of them in the cages, dead babies in the hallways. Um, the smell is just incredible. It's It's it, it's so uh, there's no windows it's just dark in there um it just feels like somewhere out of a horror film and it just got worse as we went on this this farm even though it was a local family-run farm it had about four thousand animals on it um we spent the next few hours going through every single section um and carefully documenting everything that we saw it was just it was it was very shocking i 
it is definitely the worst place in the world I have ever been and will probably ever be. I, 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 I'm just even, even trying to, to explain how it felt to, to look at these animals. There were, there were just so many, there was a variety of just horrible situations. You know, there were uh, the fairing area, the gestation area, which is where they're, the, the, they're being impregnated. Um, and they're, they're in cages, size their own body, their own body there as well, um, on concrete. Um, there was the area where they kept the males, the adult males, um, which was uh, extremely filthy and we could barely breathe in there. We couldn't understand how animals could breathe in there. There was the area where there were babies, um, babies that were too old to be with their mothers, but not old enough to be with the, with the adults. And they were so overcrowded and so filthy and uh, oppressive. Sorry, that's the word I was trying to find earlier and I couldn't find it for some reason. It was such an oppressive, horrible place. And all these little individuals, they were all so sweet and curious and they wanted to come up to us and, and, you know, they're, I'm sorry. I just, I'm still like, um, just, it's hard to talk about, you know, it's hard to talk about. And I've been ranting for a long time now, so I think I'll stop it. Let me know what your next, next question is. It's, it's okay. Um, you're wearing a biohazard suit. Yes. What is the purpose of that? Biosecurity suit is the point is to try to protect the animals from um, uh, from us and to try try to protect us from them to try not to um, you know uh, contaminate uh, uh, their environment uh, while we are documenting what we are doing there. Um, it's it's funny because. Um, when we were eventually discovered by the farmers, um, they didn't have any sort of protective gear on whatsoever. Um, not the initial employee that found us and also not the owner of the farm that came in later. Um, but we, we did, we did wear that and we did do our best to wear gloves and, and, um, but it was, it was so filthy in there that it was actually quite difficult. Um, like the, our, our, the little booties we had on would get just soaked with, feces and urine i mean you know and how do you not how do you not trudge that throughout the the other areas it was it was not set up in a way that was very biosecure at all i mean we didn't see stations where you should wash your hands or change your booties or anything like that there was nothing like that on the farm um but we did our best we did our best to protect ourselves and protect the animals at that point you were vegan for a number of years and you had watched a lot of footage of animal exploitation and yeah. you were also an activist. Did that experience still change your outlook on animal rights and animal exploitation and your actions? Did it, I guess, change a bit your perception of what you were doing and what of your thoughts and, and beliefs around around that absolutely yeah absolutely i had like you said watched a lot of this footage before but it's extremely different to be in the facility yourself to look into the eyes of the victims to have them look into yours to see those individuals to be there with them to see them in their suffering and to not be able to help we had already decided that we weren't going to try to take any animals out um, because that creates um, 
a much more difficult legal challenge of of theft um we decided we were not going to do that i don't i don't know if we regret that or not collectively but it was a decision we made before going in um <clears throat> but yes absolutely like when i when i said that before i was sitting in the car and i was feeling like what am i doing here you know i'm in the middle of nowhere wearing a diaper um, in the dark about to go into a farm and break the law you know what am i doing um i was scared before by the end of our experience there by the time we were sitting up against a wall in the gestation area waiting to be arrested my fear was gone i had no second thoughts i had no regrets i had no more fear about being part of this action about doing this sort of activism for animals i I felt its importance after really seeing for myself what these places are like and what the evil of animal agriculture really is, what it's really doing to innocent sentient beings by the billions every single day. Our action was peaceful. We didn't we didn't um break anything. We didn't take anything. We didn't hurt anyone. Um so all we wanted to do was expose that this horror is happening in in our own backyard in Quebec farms people always say like oh it's not like that here you know it's like that somewhere else when they see images of of horrible uh, horrible places um or or just standard practices that happen else they say it's not like that here it's not that bad um we wanted to show yes it is like that here it is like that in Quebec we wanted to expose these people and it's so important um to do that and i feel the weight of that obviously so much more after being there and doing it myself so yeah by the end my my fear was gone i i knew this was important um it just strengthened my resolve to do this action strengthened my resolve in the movement and in my own choices in both being part of it and dedicating my life to it um which i will continue to do in either legal or illegal ways uh, for the rest of my life well that was considered an illegal action and you mentioned how the owners of that farm first the employee and then i think the owners um you did you have any interaction with them when they surprised you uh in the middle of your uh action um sort of yes um we were we were we were sitting on the ground lined up against the wall we had already decided not to speak to them um the first thing that happened was um there was a Guyanese man who um had just actually apparently it was his first day on the job <laughs> so quite an interesting first day uh for him gave him a bit of a, a shock uh we were just sitting there we weren't uh, speaking or anything and he came around the corner from inside the farm he was already inside and he came from one of the other farm rooms um and um he looked around the corner this Guyanese man who was on his first day of the job and saw us and looked shocked and then left he didn't say anything he didn't come into the room nothing i'm assuming he just went straight to go get the owner of the farm and so the owner excuse me the owner then came from an external door on the other side of the room that led to the outside came in um and just sort of it felt like he was sort of puffing out his chest and he was filming us and he was trying to 
I don't know, intimidate us. I felt like, and he was just asking us like, why are you here? Why won't you leave? What do you want from us? Um, but the way that he was saying it with his tone, it felt like he was trying to intimidate us. I don't know, but he, he just asked us those questions and we didn't answer him. Um, so he left and then he came back with the police and the police came in. Um, oh, I think actually we answered one question. Uh, no, that was, sorry, it's a bit mixed. Um, we, we only said that we spoke, well, we spoke English, but we didn't want to, uh, speak to them very much. We just wanted to, uh, sit down peacefully and wait to be arrested. Um, so there was very little interaction, uh, verbally with either the owner of the farm or the police when they arrived, but they were there for a while, the police, um, it took them a while to get mobilized and, and, and organized to figure out how to arrest, uh, 12 people. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I like the idea that this, the, the owner of that farm was doing his bad business, his exploitation, um, profiting on the lives of those animals in the middle of nowhere, thinking that no one is paying attention to his uh, immoral behavior. But we are. We are paying attention to what you're doing. We know that you exist. And I guess this was a shock for him. This was a, a great surprise to you know, find himself you know, exposed like that uh I, I i really don't know how he feels about it you know i mean i i hope that it had some effect to see himself and his farm and his his family's legacy through the eyes of activists and the court and um the the public as well um uh, maybe even from some of his peers because you know i'm sure a lot of uh, people um in their community, um, learned about the action and we saw some of the, the footage that we took. Um, I don't really know what kind of impact it has had. Uh, he did testify and he was, you know, quite defensive and adamant that, um, uh, it didn't seem like he had any remorse, uh, at the time, but, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if he would have wanted to show it to us if he did. So I, I really don't know. Um, I will say that the police that were there, there was definitely mixed response. There was one woman who, while just sort of standing there, she looked at the pigs that were sitting across from us while we were waiting to be arrested. And she looked at them in their cages. And at some point, these pigs in the gestation crates, they can't move, right? They have no way to express their energy, to expel all this energy that they have as, as you know, um, you know, as animals, as, as um, sentient beings. Uh, they, they, can't, they can't do anything except stand up and lie down. Um, and so a few times that we were there, they all collectively started screaming. I have very... Um, uh, affecting footage of them just screaming at the top of their lungs and thrashing against the bars and foaming at the mouth. And that started to happen while the police were there. It happened before while we were at the farm, uh, not with anything that we did. We did not initiate it. They just, they just start to do that. Um, we started to hear the screaming before we entered the room when we entered and found them all screaming. But anyway, what happened while 
the police were there and it was really affecting this one policewoman. You could see on her face that, you know, the empathy was coming through. Um, but then there was another policeman there who, when he walked in said, Oh, it looks like breakfast in here had absolutely no empathy for those individuals in their cages, which is just mind boggling to me that someone could look at that and have no empathy for those individuals as if they have any, you know, less feeling, less, um, less suffering than, than other animals that, that we, that we care for, um, you know, even in our own homes. I mean, I, that you can even look at that and, and not, not see the injustice in it, you know, it's just crazy to me, but that's the world we live in, you know, um, humans are a mixed bag and some of us have empathy and some of us just don't, unfortunately. So you were arrested and then following that for about three years, you had to confront the judicial system, which yeah, went three and a half years, three yeah. and a half, which went against you. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, about that uh, experience of the system uh, going against you for having exposed that uh, evil? Yes. Well, it was very, it was, I had so many mixed emotions during that period. Um, I was, part of me was, obviously I have, and I said this in court uh, when I gave my own personal statement to the judge, I have no regrets about what I did um, because it was peaceful, because it, it was necessary to expose this place. It was civil disobedience, which has been very important uh, with all social justice movements throughout history. Um, and I, I felt um, a sense of pride to be part of this action. And so I tried to carry that with me and all the love from the community that we got, um, the, the vegan activist community that we got going into this um, difficult criminal proceeding. Um, but of course, being in the courtroom and sitting there day after day after day it was uh, eight days i think of um of proceedings and to sit there and to listen to the testimony from the farmers the veterinarians the police people um most of which was negative towards us um you know um And, and there were a lot of uh, lies that they tried to tell about us. They tried to um, prove that we had done all these horrible things in the farm, that we had changed the temperature, that we had left doors open, that we had let pigs out. They tried to stay, like actually charge us with, with all of these things. And they told so many lies um, about what happened on the day. Um, the policeman that testified, um, one of the policemen that testified actually lied about me about how he had to arrest me. He said that he had to carry me from the floor all the way to the car, which was actually completely incorrect. They, they picked me up and they did carry me, I think a few steps, maybe five steps. And then they yelled at me, they yelled walk. And I put my feet down. I was just trying to be obedient. They hadn't asked me to stand up. They hadn't asked me to do anything. As soon as they said walk, I put my feet down and I walked the rest of the way out the door, all the way to the car. This man said that he had to carry me all the way to the car. I, I couldn't, I, you know, just, there were so many things that they said that were just um, hard to listen to. Um, it was hard on the mind. It was hard on the heart. It was hard on the soul to sit there 
and just listen so much. Um, and our, our lawyers were so, were so brave and so, um, so uh, we were so lucky with our legal team. Um, we had seven lawyers, uh, that were the creme de la creme of the criminal justice system. So, you know, we were very well represented um, and they did their best um, to to um, defend us. But ultimately we were convicted. Um, we were found guilty. And then we were all sentenced after that. We were found guilty of two criminal charges. It was technically three, but it sort of turned into two because it was uh, obstruction breaking and entering and mischief and the mischief charge was actually um amalgamated with the breaking and entering charge because the only way that they can charge you with breaking and entering is if they can prove that you were there on the premises to commit another crime otherwise it's just trespassing so they had to figure out what our crime was so they decided it was mischief which to me and of course um the rest of us uh who were um, on trial is crazy because what was mischievous about trying to expose an injustice? We weren't there to, you know, ransack the place or, 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 or anything like that. We weren't there to, you know, um, we weren't a bunch of hooligans who were just trying to, you know, um, make a disturbance. We were there to expose a horrible injustice. And uh, we tried to convey that as much as we could, um, but unfortunately, uh, we were found guilty of it. And so uh, then we waited for our sentencing, um, and we were given a sentence where about it was split. Half of us were given criminal records, and half of us were not. Uh, we were all also given community service, a little bit of money to pay. Um, the sentencing could have been a lot worse, um, but it could have been a lot better. Um, so mixed feelings about that, too. Um, but yeah, basically, um, to summarize, it, it was it was hard, but it was also beautiful sometimes because we had rallies outside of the the courthouse. Lots and lots of people from the community came to support us every single court every single court day um, within the actual criminal trial and 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 outside of that, all the court dates we had over three and a half years, we always had support. We always had hugs. We always had just so much love. So we carried that love in there. And actually on the day of our sentencing, uh, we were sitting, they put us in the jury box because there were so many people that wanted to be in the courtroom all the time. Um, people from the public, journalists, um, other, other people that they would put the 11 of us. Um, it, was, it was 11 of us because one of us was a minor. So she had her own trial. They put the 11 of us in the jury box. And on their last day of um, our sentencing, um, we were sitting there with, uh, we all had a rose. We all had a, a rose in our lap, all all of us women. It, it was, uh, sorry, excuse me, there was um, 10 women and one uh, non-binary uh, American person um, on, on on trial. And it was it was just beautiful. And I felt like we were all sitting there with the love of, our, of the community um, in our hands, in the symbol of that rose, you know? And um, um, yeah, and then a lot of the people that were there to support us, they were in a separate room. Um, watching because the room could only accommodate so many people. And some of the people weren't even allowed in because they were wearing shorts because it was summertime and apparently you're not allowed to wear shorts in the courtroom. So they they, they had to like um, make an exception for them and let them in another room. Anyway, um, 
what so they were all watching us on a on a video screen over there and when we came out of the courtroom after having the sentence read to us um they were all there waiting at the door when we came out and they all cheered and clapped for us and it was really beautiful lots of hugs and um so yeah you know it was extremely stressful it was extremely difficult it was extremely long all those years of not knowing how this was going to turn out but it was also extremely beautiful and meaningful and um it's one of the best experiences, if not the best experience I've ever gone through in my life overall. The most powerful and meaningful and important experiences I've ever had. Oh, and and that farm, I think that farm was uh, closed, um, was shut down. Uh, yeah. Am, am I right? Yes, you are. We only learned about that on the first day of court proceedings. It was announced by the crown the crown is the um the representative for um the people who own the farm um they're the government representative um, because it's a criminal proceeding it's uh, the crown who represents the other side um they announced that the farm actually closed and we were very shocked to hear that that was never our intention we of course are aren't can't be upset about it of course we want the farm to close but we never expected that that would happen just from uh, um exposing it it basically happened because uh the mapac decided to go and um they were tipped off um by someone and they went to go and investigate because uh, they very they very rarely do inspections on these farms they should do them all the time but they don't they just don't so they went to do an inspection they realized the farm was um extra horrible because they're all horrible but this one was was extra horrible um and i think that's part of the reason why they shut down they also had um they already had a rotavirus outbreak that was quite um, quite widespread, I believe. So that was part of it. But um, and by the way, the veterinarian who testified said that it was very unlikely that uh, the rotavirus was there because of us being in there. Um, so that that was not uh, that was not something that um, they were able to blame on us, though they did try. Um, but yeah, they the farm was closed, and we are we are very happy about that. And also the, the judge um, said about, um, well, I will read from an article called The Activist in the Canada 11 Case uh, Convicted for Entering a Pig Farm in Canada to Expose Animal cru Cruelty Have Now Been uh, Sentenced After More Than Three Years of Waiting. It's an article from uh, Jordi uh, Kesmigiano, who had his fair share of uh, struggles with the judicial system as yes. an animal rights activist uh we i think i think we talked about him on this podcast uh but he he wrote a beautiful article on um on your uh judicial struggles and there he quotes the judge justice marco labrie who um himself said the videos the activists recorded were impactful pugnant troubling yes. and disturbing yes and it was very um appreciated to hear that from the judge because a lot of judges will not will not go that far they don't need to right it's not really it's it's difficult because you know the criminal proceedings are supposed to be solely based on what we did wrong which was break and entering it doesn't necessarily need i mean obviously the intent of why we that we are there we think that's important but some judges don't some judges don't think that it, it matters 
you know, what our goal was. All that matters is that we broke the law and that's wrong. End of story. But this judge, thankfully, um, had more of a heart and was willing to um, allow the footage to be played in the courtroom itself um, and to say these things in his statement that he he recognizes that this place, you know, it was horrible, was, you know, um, disturbing and uh, that the images were poignant and, and affecting and and. And it really, um, I think overall, we did get a good judge, even though he didn't let all of us off. I felt like, I felt like he did the best that he felt like he could. He really, he really, he really took his time with it. And I think he, I don't think we could have asked for, um, for much better in terms of uh, uh, who we got in in that in that seat um but yeah we were allowed to play the footage in the courtroom and actually a uh, funny story on the first day of court proceedings um it was actually the other side who played all of our videos which to us was very strange you know this is the evidence we have against them you know the that makes them uh that bathes them in a in a negative light so why would they want to play it um and and it was shocking for me because it, a lot of it was my footage they had gone to my facebook page and taken all of the videos from 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 my page um so uh here i am watching my own videos being you know played by the by the crown by the prosecution um and uh i think why they did that is they wanted to get ahead of it they wanted that shocking imagery to be in our minds from the start so that by the end, it's not so shocking anymore. And it doesn't have the same effect on the judge. It doesn't have the same effect. Um, you know, it's been, it's been absorbed. It's, it's marinated in the brain, you know, it's not as uh, damning anymore if maybe it's had time to, to sit. So I think they were trying to get ahead of it by saying, yes, this is what it was like in there, but that's not the point. The point is they broke the law, period, you know? Um, yeah think again i mean i cannot watch uh earthlings after <laughs> even after all of those years of being a vegan and uh, after all that footage i have watched i mean i've never grown indifferent to that uh so it's it's a weird psychological reflection i guess but um it's smart in a way uh in a evil genius way but yeah. 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 Uh, you know, I think that must have been their ploy. Um, but I mean, those images are horrible. And I'm sure that the judge, he had them, you know, uh, on file. And so he probably watched them when he was deliberating after all the proceedings were over. So I don't know if that actually would have been um, as effective. But um, I'm glad they were, we were allowed to play them. There was a, there was um, another court proceeding, another action and, and trial uh, out west with Amy Serrano and Nick Schaefer and Jeff, I forget his last name, Regier, I think. And there was one other, and I can't remember his name right now. Those were the organizers of this action where there were actually 200 activists who went into a pig farm. They did exactly the same thing as us. It was very peaceful, but 200, I don't know how you get those numbers. We had 12, okay. <laughs> they had 200 people, go BC, um, um, you know, willing to sign up for an action like this. And only the four organizers, of course, were brought to court because they can't bring 200 people to court. 
and they weren't allowed to show any of their footage to talk about the animals at all. Amy, when she was giving her statement, she wanted to talk a bit about the animals. She thought it was important to express why she was there. Why did they do this? The judge shut her down the moment she started to mention the animals. He said, you can't talk about that in here. So she decided to not even give the rest of her statement. She was shocked. She thought she had the right to say her piece. Normally, you have the right to say your piece when you are addressing the judge. He would not even let them talk about the animals whatsoever. So, And they, and they were sentenced to jail. They were sentenced to one month in jail. Um, two of them were. Two of them were let off. Amy and Nick were sentenced to one month in jail. They are appealing that decision. But it just goes to show the judge that you get really matters. Um, it's actually better to get a jury when you think about it because the collective minds of 12 people that are just normal citizens, um, I think are a, a safer bet than the, the mind of one who may or may not be influenced, biased, um, corrupted, who knows? So, yeah. Well, that's a truly inspiring story. And I want to just take time to say thank you. Thank you for having taken that action and for having exposed what happened in that farm and participated in shutting down that operation. So thank you for your bravery, Natalie. Thank you very much for saying that. Um, uh, there's There are people out there that do much more brave things than me, uh, uh, than us, I should say. You know, we did this together. I, I, I don't know if I'll ever do it again, um, but of course I have no regrets. But I mean, there are people out there that go into farms all the time and they go in there either um, undercover as employees which I think is hardest because you have to pretend like you're okay with it. The whole time you work there, you have to pretend like you're on board with this. You can't cry. You can't show any emotion. You can't help them. You can't save them. You can't do anything but pretend like you're one of the evil people next to you. And I'm going to call them evil because honestly, there are people who work in slaughterhouses. This is not an exaggeration who get off on what's happening in front of them. There are people who actually get off on hurting animals and they have a great outlet for that. They can work in a farm or a slaughterhouse and see it every day and inflict that pain every day. And you have to stand next to those people. Um, I hope those that's the minority, by the way. I know there's a lot of people in slaughterhouses who work there because they have no other options. They have to feed their families. They are immigrants. Um, actually, after the Syrian war, a lot of the refugees that came to Canada they were given slaughterhouse jobs because they didn't speak the language. They didn't have uh, skills that were transferable here, here or um, uh, the even if they were doctors over in their country, they're not allowed to be doctors here. They had to go through a process. So anyway, they were given slaughterhouse jobs. I saw the um, on a government website. I saw the paperwork that said that that's where they were, what they were given. Imagine coming from your war torn country and you're being asked to mutilate and exploit and, and slaughter innocent sentient beings every single day. And that's your new reality. So, so you know, we have saved you from your, your previous um, PTSD-inducing situation, and now we're throwing you into a new one. And those people have to be there every day too. But sorry, I'm going on a tangent. Um, there are people undercover who have to pretend like they're okay with this. And that those are the real heroes of this movement. I don't think there's anyone in this movement doing anything more difficult than that. I really don't. And there are people that go in without anyone knowing. And they they take go in, they take animals out, and they bring them to sanctuaries. They go in and they try to find someone to help. Those people, I love them. I don't I I don't know that many of them, um, but I I'm tearing up even talking about them. 
I, I, I did it once. I went in there once for maybe, I think it was six hours or something like that. Six, eight hours. I don't remember, actually. I don't remember how long I was in that farm. But they do that all the time. And I, I, I send so much love to them. Yeah, I think that's a, a general feelings we have as vegans. We want this this evil to stop and whoever is participating in a consequent way to end this evil, we feel so grateful toward those people because it gives us hope when we look around and the world is against us in this fight to, to see that level of bravery and hero, heroism it is so inspiring and hopeful. So, yeah. So, Natalie, do you have any plans for the future? Any new initiatives you are working on and you, you uh, might want to mention? Um, yeah, I, I do. I do other things. I mean, um, uh, I, I, I'm organizing a, a yearly march and... Um, and event protest on Parliament Hill. I'm from Ottawa originally, and there's not a whole lot of activism that happens there. I've never seen any animal rights marches in Ottawa before. So I decided to start organizing one where I even take like a busload of people from Montreal uh, with me over to Ottawa. We rent an actual charter bus and we go over there. We've done it once already. It was a beautiful day. We were supposed to do it again a few days ago, actually, on the 28th of October, but we cancelled. Um, I didn't feel prepared. I felt like the community was not feeling very motivated. I wasn't getting the response I needed. It was Halloween weekend. Um, it, it was probably going to be cold, uh, you know, because it's late October. I just decided it wasn't the right time. I decided to postpone it to next summer. So it's on July 13th in Ottawa. I really want to make it the, you know, bigger and better than it's ever been. So um, it's called Canada Abuses Animals, which is quite a jarring name. But, you know, the shock value is part of the point because it is animal abuse. And it's not just Canada, right? It, 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 it's every country. America abuses animals. The Czech Republic abuses animals. Argentina abuses animals. I mean, it's it's everywhere. But the point is that the public needs to understand that is true. That sentiment is accurate. This is animal abuse, and it's systemic. It's it's systemic. It's legal, and it needs to be challenged. And so that's why we we march to Parliament, right? Um, but anyway, that's happening. Um, I'm still doing work with AV. I will. I love AV. I will always want to want to be part of what they're doing. Um, I'm also the Canada regional organizer. So I help to manage the chapters across the country. And I've been thinking lately about doing initiatives that um, um, are more um, solo, you know, like most of the initiatives I do, they, they, they require lots of people and lots of planning. And I've been thinking that, you know, maybe just doing something where all I need is someone to film me. And then maybe that video hopefully goes viral. It could be a really great way to do simple activism. And then anybody listening to this, I, I encourage you to do that as well. You don't need a lot of people to do something effective. You don't even need someone to film you if you can potentially film yourself doing it. Um, somewhere where there's lots of people, you know, plan something effective, something that's like even an art installation that's moving, that's, you know, uh, I have my own ideas of what I might do myself, but... You don't need to have a lot of people or a lot of money or a lot of planning to make a big impact. You just need a lot of people to see it and a lot of people to be moved by it. So, yeah, that's something I'm also considering doing uh, in the near future. That's amazing. Uh, I'm looking forward to all of that and and more. And 
you're always welcome on this podcast if you want to talk about your uh, future initiatives i'm certain that it will be as inspiring as the past ones so and successful too so yeah thank you that's very kind thank you natalie did you want to add something before we end this conversation stay hopeful that's all stay hopeful it's really hard to stay hopeful sometimes when you see the scale of the evil that's happening that we humans are inflicting um the behemoths that we're up against these industry you know um giants that have so much more power than we do it seems and i say it seems because they have the money they have the lobbyists they have they have so much that we don't have but we have the truth and we have um justice on our side we know this is wrong we know that no evil can last forever and i hope we know that most human beings are good at their core they have a heart they care about they want to eat meat they don't want to eat animals i don't think people actually really want to hurt animals usually one of the worst things you can see on tv or or or, or in movies is an animal being harmed people hate to see this that tells you something We're not actually supposed to be doing this systemically or at all on a daily basis at all. We're not supposed to be hurting innocent sentient beings. We're supposed to recognize that they have emotions and, 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 and they feel pain and suffering the same way that we do. And if not even the same way that, that, that they suffer at all, why would we want to inflict this suffering? People do care about this. People do care about Um, most people do care about what's happening to animals and they don't actually want to participate in what they're participating in. They're just turning a blind eye right now because it's what they're used to. It's what they've been conditioned to do. And I do, I do believe that we will get past this. I think um, lots of things will help us get us there, especially food technology will really help us get us there. Um, we will get there. Um, But we need you. We need people to be activists. So if you're not an activist yet, do something. It doesn't have to be a huge thing. Every little bit helps. But but join us. We 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 are only stronger together. And um, yeah, it's one of the most beautiful things you can do with your life. I think is standing up against oppression, against evil, and doing it for not even for yourself. You're doing it for someone else or many someone else's. Um, It's a beautiful thing to do with your life. And I'm really glad that I found this movement and veganism. And, you know, the movement gives me lots of hope and lots of joy just because there's so many beautiful people in it. So um, join us, be one of those wonderful people and we'll get through this. We will get there. Stay hopeful. Amazing. I hope your message gets across. Natalie, thank you again for all of your work and for having accepted to be a guest on my show my pleasure thank you so much ryan it was a total joy and an honor to be here with you today and to talk to you about this i really appreciate what you're doing thank you everyone for listening and thank you so much for being a friend of this show as always please share this episode with your community let's inspire more people to take action if you're listening to this on apple podcasts please leave a five-star review 
Finally, you can always follow me on Instagram at Vegan Report Podcast. Thank you again for listening. Take care and see you soon.